Today we come uh, to the point of the death of Abram, Abraham's wife, Sarah. She lived to be 127, but when she died, they were still in the promised land, and they were uh, without land there. <coughs> Though he lived there, he had no place to bury her. So we come to chapter 23 at the time that he's negotiating for the land. Thanks. Ephraim the Hittite was sitting in the gate, and he replied to Abraham in the presence of all the people. Listen, my Lord, I will give you the field, and I will give you the cave. I give it to you. Bury your dead. Abraham bowed once again before the people who were with Ephron and said in their presence and in their hearing, Listen to me, if you will. I will pay you the price for the land so that I can bury my dead. Ephron the Hittite uh, replied and said, The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. And so Abram paid the price that was agreed to with Ephron the Hittite in the presence of all the people. He paid out 400 shekels of silver. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Be seated, please. Last year, about this time, we went and bought a slightly used car for my son. And we ended up paying a little less than the price that was on the sticker. Now, that may not sound too great for you, to you, but i got to tell you, it was a big deal for me because we had the whole family involved in the negotiation. <clears throat> and when you take the whole family, you just can't control what they're going to say. They're going to put their hands on the car and tell you how wonderful it is. They're going to tell the salesman all the great things they could do with this car. They want to know, is that the last one left in this color? And all the time, I'm just shrinking down to this size. Never take the whole family with you to negotiate. Well, if I was going to negotiate land, I'll tell you this, I would take my whole family before I would take Abraham. Now, I'm not saying Abraham's a terrible negotiator, because you may recall in Genesis 18, he negotiated with God uh, in order to try to get God to spare the wicked city of Sodom. But I will tell you also, though, when it comes to land, Abraham's a terrible negotiator. Genesis 14, they get on the verge of the promised land. He's got lots of flocks. His nephew Lot has lots of flocks. So they need to divide up. And this is his negotiation. He says to Lot, you pick the best land and go there and I'll go somewhere else. What? And then he comes here. And he needs a place to bury his wife. He's in the promised land, but he doesn't own any of the promised land yet. And so he comes to Ephraim the Hittite. He's found this um, cave of Machpelah in a, in a field near what was called Hebron. And uh, basically Ephraim says, take it. It's yours. I give it to you. I'll give you the cave. I'll give you everything. It's free. Just take it. And so Abraham enters negotiation and says, no, I'll pay the full price. And he does. I mean, that bothers me. I was like, who pays full price when you can get a discount? Who pays full price when you can get it for free? But he does. And I've been wondering about that. Just, am I on the wrong track? Do I need to quit? Could be a sign. 
<laughs> Who buys what you can get for free? Why does Abram do this? Well, I thought about that. And the first thing is, you know the way I think, uh, I usually think like this, if God has promised me something and it's really valuable, then God probably wants me to have it for little effort or for nothing. But I'm not really sure that's how Abraham thinks. Maybe Abraham thinks God has promised me this promised land. And therefore, it must be very valuable. And therefore, I must really have to pay what it's worth. You know, David was like that. About a thousand years later, David is... Thank you, God. uh, (laughs) David is looking for a place in which to build the temple. And he comes on what's called a threshing floor. And a threshing floor is just a place where you separate uh, grain from the chaff. Uh, But we know the threshing floor is on top of what's called Mount Moriah, which is where Abraham had taken Isaac. And so David says to the guy who owns the land, look, uh, I want to buy this land to build a temple to God. And the guy goes, oh, temple for God, here, take it, take it, it's free. And David has this amazing response. He says, I will not build something for God that cost me nothing. And he makes the sacrifice. His idea was, if it's for God, it's worth the most we can pay. Maybe that's what Abraham's thinking. Or maybe it's just this. Maybe Abraham is just desperate. Not just because this is the last car in this color, but he has no transportation in a sense. He has nothing. He's been promised the promised land. He's got a child. He's got cows. He's got camels. He's got donkeys. He's got tents. But he's got no land. And maybe he's so desperate for it that he'll pay whatever. One of the interesting things we know about the ancient Near East, and it's really true in the Middle East today, is people do not part with land very easily. If you don't believe me, take a trip over to the West Bank and watch what what happens over there. Land that's been in the family, they just don't give away. And so foreigners had little or no chance ever to buy a piece of land. And on the long shot, you could buy a piece of land, you couldn't keep it for perpetuity. If Abraham is able to buy this land, he knows that when he dies, they might take it away. So maybe because of that, he says, I need to pay the full price. I need to get a stake and a claim in the promised land that it belongs to me. And because of that, because he feels unqualified and unworthy to buy anything, he goes for the full price so that this land will be his and will never be taken away. Well, I don't really know all the reasons he paid full price, but you may be wondering, why are you talking about this on Easter? Because I do think there's a couple connection points between us and Abraham. The first one is this. Abraham has everything except the one thing that might make his experience complete. Camels, donkeys, tent, a child, but no land. Have you ever had most everything and still felt you had nothing? Some years ago, there was an interview with a woman who had written, at that time, four best-selling novels. And after her fourth one, they, they were talking to her and they said, you know, is there anything you wish somebody would have told you before you started writing and, and publishing? And she said this. She said, yes, I wish someone would have told me that when I got to the top of the mountain, there would be nothing there. Have you ever had everything but really sensed that maybe something was missing? 
Have you ever had some idea that in spite of all of your camels and your donkeys and your tents and your kids, that things still weren't completely in order? Or maybe have you ever lived at a point in your life where you felt like you didn't even have the tents, the camels, or the donkeys? That it was all missing. And you wondered what it would take to make your existence complete. There's a psychiatrist at Stanford who did an interesting experiment about a decade ago. He got 100 people in the Bay Area of California, got them in focus groups, and just asked them one, one question. This was it. What do you want more than anything else? And the 100 people not only gave answers, they, they poured forth stories of broken hearts, broken dreams, broken lives, poor health. And the psychiatrist's conclusion, this is what he said at the end of reporting on all this, he said, I had never expected to encounter so much loneliness, so much hopelessness, so much pain. People who think they have it all, people who think they have nothing, what we all have in common is we still are missing a major piece of our existence. I'm here this morning to tell you that Abraham knew what he was missing. He was missing the promised land. And I want to suggest that's what you and I are missing too. What we are missing is our own promised land. The scripture calls it heaven. That time and that place when everything works in harmony the way that God intended. When there's no more crying. When there's no more pain. When there's no more death. When bodies work as they are supposed to. When relationships work as, when they, as the way they are supposed to. When dreams rather than being dashed are fulfilled and people live in justice, people have roofs over their head and food in their stomach. That, says the Bible, is heaven. And when we look at our lives like Abraham, we realize that piece is missing. But I've got another connection point with Abraham. Not only am I missing something central to my existence, I'm not really qualified to purchase what it takes to get whole. Abraham felt unqualified. Now the good news is he was able to come up with the 400 shekels. I mean, have you ever felt unqualified really to have the life that God has in mind for you? Have you ever felt like maybe you, you weren't worthy, you didn't measure up? Between services this morning, um, Lynn, who runs the blood drive, was handing out Oreo cookies. I don't know if you should have gotten here early. Um, and I got one, and I took a bite of it, and then I had a flashback. Oh my gosh. Years ago, my first year in graduate school at Duke, my wife was working in the nursing school as a secretary, working with a Ph.D. who was doing groundbreaking work on a topic that probably doesn't thrill you all, but it's nevertheless an important topic. She was doing groundbreaking research on PMS. And, uh, and my wife was so impressed with her. And so one day, when I was supposed to go pick her up at the end of the day at the nursing school, she, she called me and said, look, I want you to park the car, come around the back. I need you to meet Dr. Woods. So, sure. You know, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to have to say something intelligent. This, you know, it's not hard. I'm studying. We can do this. So I park the car, go around back. She introduces me to Dr. Woods. I smile, and she asks me about what I'm studying, and I try to make the classes sound challenging and, and interesting. And I thought I did pretty well. And then when it was over, we walked out the door. We went to the car, parked around back. I tried to open the door for her. She opened it for herself and glared at me. Now, I'm not particularly sensitive, but I got the sense something was off. 
she got in, I got in, she took the rear view mirror and flashed it in my direction and said, look at that. And I looked, and I had the Oreo cookies I'd been eating when she called all over my face. <laughs> you know, for the next three years, I never walked into the nursing school again. I mean, have you ever felt like that? You've done something, you're, you're, you've missed something, there's some reason you just, you could never have what God intended. You're not worthy. You can't pay the price. Well, here's the good news. Yeah, that's true. You're not worthy. You can't pay it. But Will told the kids, somebody did pay it. Jesus paid the full price for you to have the existence that God has in mind for you to one day be a part of a place where there's no more pain, no more death, no more sorrow, no more tears. Everything works as it's intended. Now here's something I found interesting. Learned it a few years ago. The price of a piece of land in the, in the Old Testament that was enough for you to raise um, a vineyard, have a crop, take care of your family, was worth 50 shekels according to Leviticus 27. Uh, and we assume, or at least biblical commentators, that there was very little inflation in the several hundred years between Abraham and Moses. So here's what they figured out. On that 50 shekels worth of land, it, it was big enough with fields and everything that you could put 75,000 people on it if they were like the AT&T Center, like sitting like this. 75,000. Pretty interesting. They couldn't move, but they could be on it. Now, how much does Abraham pay? Did you remember? He pays eight times that for this field with a cave. Stay with me. Eight times 75,000 gives you 600,000. Exodus tells us that when the slaves left Egypt and moved into freedom in the promised land, there were 600,000 thousand men and then women and children but the symbolic nature the rabbis understood Abraham was paying full price not just to guarantee the land but to, as a way of saying for the future this land is big enough for all of us every person who crosses the river Jordan can stay in the promised land it's for us all now flash forward with me for just a minute Jesus on Easter Sunday comes into the land that he has paid for in full on Good Friday. And right now, he's the only one at that moment inhabiting it. But how big is that land? This is what Jesus said. He said in John 14, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it weren't so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And when I go, I will come back and get you. That where I am, you may be also. Then in the book of Revelation, a letter that Jesus hands to John, this is what he said. In heaven, he said, there are 144,000 saints. Now remember, if you studied Revelation with us, that Revelation numbers are always symbolic. 12 times 12 times 10 times 10 times 10, 144,000. 12 tribes, all the people of God, Old Testament. 12 apostles. All the people of God in Christ. Times 10 to the third, completeness. 
What was Jesus trying to say about heaven? He was trying to say, there's room enough for all of us. That that time and that place when life functions as it's meant to be until life on earth gets that way, we have a stake in that. We have a place in that. It's paid in full. It's guaranteed. Now, I don't know exactly what all you do in heaven while we wait for heaven to be established on earth. Uh, I don't know, but I have some, I've got like a, a list of things I want to do. So when I get to heaven, one of the first things I want to do is uh, look up Moses. I figure it'll be a long line, but i got time. I figure after that, now I've got a new one. I think I'm going to go over to Abraham Lincoln and, and check out, you know, you've, you've probably heard that movie about Abraham Lincoln killing vampires. Kind of wanting to check that one out. Just, you know, it's an outlier. And then I want to find Abraham. And I want to thank him for setting the precedent that when you pay for the promised land in full, there's enough room for everyone forever.